welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. It's a great privilege to be able to preach from God's Word to my church family. As most of you know, Dan has been taking us verse by verse through 1 Timothy over the last few weeks. We have been learning about God's design for the local church, and more recently about the beauty of God's role for men and women within that context. Last week, we learned about the qualifications of elders and how they are to exercise spiritual authority and oversight in the church. The passage that I have been given to preach this morning is the list of qualifications for deacon ministry in 1 Timothy 3 through excuse me 1 Timothy 3:8 through 13. I would like us to go through the qualifications and then after determining what the character of a deacon should look like, we're also going to briefly engage with Acts 6 so that we can determine what the roles of a deacon should be. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer before we get into the text. Father, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword and has the power to lift us up when we are weary and the ability to awaken our cold hearts when we no longer burn with passion for your word and your way. Lord, prepare our hearts and our minds as we engage with the text. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't already, please turn to 1 Timothy 3, and let's read verse 8 together. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Notice that Paul says, likewise. One might say similarly in the common tongue today. What you come to realize as you study through this passage is that the qualifications for elders and deacons is very similar. Both the office of elder and the office of deacon require the same type of person, a mature Christian whose behavior and character is above reproach. Furthermore, as you study this list, it becomes clear that it's picturing the character of someone who is simply seeking to be a faithful follower of Jesus. This is not a recipe for how to create a super-Christian. As members of Agape, we need to know what to look for in a deacon candidate, but we also need to strive to be people who meet the character qualifications found in this passage. This text of Scripture is for all of us. Paul starts his list of qualifications by saying that a deacon should be dignified, a word meaning honorable. As with elders, this speaks to their reputation inside and outside of the church. One of the main reasons Paul writes Timothy with this list was to address a very specific historical problem. Some men in Ephesus who were claiming to speak for Christ and be leaders at the church of Ephesus were behaving so poorly that not only were they not meeting Christian standards of righteous living, but they were even failing to meet pagan standards of conduct. So when the outside world looked on what was happening at the church, it brought reproach to the name of Christ. Deacons are to have a reputation of acting honorably. This verse also points out three standards of living that relate to the deacon's ability to exercise self-control. Not double-tongued, addicted to much wine, or greedy for dishonest gain. Being double-tongued should be understood as someone who is a gossip, or who says one thing to person A, and then something completely different to person B, causing disunity between the two. Being addicted to much wine is pretty clearly someone who abuses the consumption of alcohol and is controlled by his desire for wine. This point could be rightly applied to the excessive and controlling consumption of any substance. And then not greedy for dishonest gain 
is prohibiting the deacon from being a person who is controlled by his desire for wealth. One could ask, is this man honest in his business dealings, or does he cut corners in pursuit of financial gain? As we will see shortly, how one acts in their personal life is an excellent indicator of how they will act in their role of service within the family of faith. So we see that the character qualifications for elder and deacon are very close here, and that they require the candidate to be able to exercise, exercise self-control. Let's move to verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What a beautiful verse. You could certainly preach an entire sermon series on this one phrase, the mystery of the faith. This is not implying that, that our faith is mysterious or unknowable, but rather this refers to the beautiful mystery of God's plan from eternity past of redeeming a people for his namesake through the person of Jesus. A mystery that was not revealed to the Old Testament saints, but a mystery that has been revealed through the person of Christ to those in the new covenant. Colossians 2, 1-3 says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Deacons are to have both an understanding of the gospel and they are to have hearts that are transformed by the gospel. When the verse goes on to say that they are to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, it is saying that their consciences should not be tainted with the guilt of unrepentant patterns of sin. Instead, their head knowledge of the gospel should cause them to have hearts that are knit to Christ, resulting in holy lives. Verse 10 says, And let them also be tested first. And let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Being tested first is primarily talking about meeting the qualifications in this list. If the deacon candidate has shown himself to be a man who consistently meets the qualifications mentioned over a period of time, then the necessity to be tested first has been met. Now, in order for them to hold the office of deacon, they are also to prove themselves blameless. Does this mean that the man is practically perfect or sinless? Of course not. None of us can meet that standard. However, the requirement is still demanding. In short, the deacon's character both inside and outside of the church should be impeccable. Accusations of impropriety against this person should not stick because they have shown themselves to be a person of excellent character. This brings us to verse 11 the bane of theologians and pastors the world over. In the ESV, it says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. To say that this verse is heavily disputed would be a severe understatement. Even among conservative evangelical scholars, there is very frequently disagreement. The disagreement is over whether the word gynekos should be translated as wives or women. Both the NIV and the NASB translated as women, while the KJV and ESV translated as wives. Listen to the NASB. Women, rather than the wives, their wives, must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. So is this text talking about the wives of deacons? Or is it giving qualifications for women deacons? 
Do you see the importance of the difference? This important topic risks taking our attention from the primary focus of the passage, so I don't want to spend too much time here discussing the two views. However, I hope to allow for discussion of the two perspectives in our follow-up time. So if you're not accustomed to sticking around, this might be an interesting week to start attending. We need to approach this issue with a lot of humility. You can hold either position with a clear conscience and be faithful in your exposition of the text. I was surprised to see that perhaps a slight majority of faithful pastors throughout church history seem to view this verse as referring to deaconesses. Most first and second century church leaders, many of the reformers and Puritans, as well as prominent Baptist church figures like Charles Spurgeon, and current leaders like John MacArthur, John Piper, and Mark Deaver all speak of having deaconesses in their churches. These are men who hold very strongly to the scriptural command that the office of elder be reserved for qualified men. This is not some sort of modern interpretation that has the motivation of removing the distinctions between men and women's roles in the church. Rather, this is a genuine desire to be faithful to God's word. The most important things to understand is that this verse must be read while still holding to 1 Timothy 2.12, which Dan preached on a few weeks ago. 1 Timothy 2.12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. So whether this verse is referring to women deacons or to the wives of deacons, it is clear that ladies are not to take on the role of biblical leader to men or to exercise authority over men. The way the church leaders mentioned seem to reconcile the potential dilemma between 1 Timothy 3.11 and 1 Timothy 2.12 was to elect deaconesses who would be over a specific aspect of church service that related to women directly. So you wouldn't have ladies giving marching orders to men who were under their arena of service. However, they could lead areas of service that ministered specifically to women and children. For example, children's ministries, ladies' prison ministries, ladies' Bible studies, or distribution of food and essentials to marginalized people in the community. Baptists have had a problem with the concept of deaconesses, especially in the last hundred years or so. This is because modern deacons often hold some sort of spiritual authority in the church. To be frank, I don't think there is any precedent in Scripture for giving this type of authority to deacons. The primary reason this understanding became the norm was because churches started moving away from having multiple elders, resulting in deacons having to step into a spiritual leadership role if something happened to the lone pastor. I want to make it clear that there is freedom here. Having your deacons operate as emergency elders is not what I think is best, but in some instances it might be your only option. At the end of the day, for Agape, as it seeks to nominate deacons in the next year or so, The question is not, can women be deacons? It is rather, what is best for agape at this moment in its development? Notice that the qualifications for the wives of deacons, or the women deacons, is basically the same qualifications earlier given in verse 8. They are to be individuals who are self-controlled as they exercise their duties. They should not be gossips, but should be sober-minded, rather than drunkards who do not have full control of their faculties. They are to be faithful in all things. Whatever their hands find to do, they should do it with the character of one who has been conformed into the image of Christ. Let's move on to verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Some have suggested that the phrase husband of one wife 
means that the deacon cannot remarry if his wife dies or divorces him, for example. However, there doesn't seem to be warrant for this interpretation when looking at the Greek, which could most simply be translated a one-woman man. So rather than looking at whether the deacon has been married more than once, we're to look at whether he is faithful to his wife and doesn't, for example, make passes at other women or become impure in his thought life. His affections are directed towards one woman. Daniel did a great job last week explaining the complexity of whether divorced men should be elders. So I'm not going to rehash this argument since the same holds true for deacons. I'll just summarize and say that the situation surrounding divorce is complicated and would require looking at the circumstances in each case. Deacons are to manage their children and their household well, meaning that their children should be living in submission to the father's loving care when they are in the home. And that anything related to household management, whether that be finances or roles within the home, should all be managed with care and with excellence. Surely one cannot be expected to serve well in the household of God if you can't serve your own household well. The home is often the proving ground for public service within the church. One more note on this section. This verse does not disallow single men becoming deacons in the same way that it does not disallow men without children or a household from becoming deacons. Paul is talking to the normal situation that he would find in the first century where most men would be married with children and a household. So this could be read, if you have a wife, be faithful, or if you have children and a household, manage them well. It will, however, be harder to vet whether or not a single man be qualified for deacon service because of their lack of experience in caring for a family. So extra care should be taken here to determine whether the individual is fit for service. Okay, verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Having gone through his list of character qualities that are critical for a deacon, Paul concludes on a note of encouragement. Deacons gain two amazing rewards for their service. First, they gain a good standing for themselves amongst their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They develop a reputation for service amongst the family of faith, and they are appreciated for their labors on behalf of Christ and his bride. This is a very good thing. Those who serve the church should not do so primarily so they can receive recognition. However, a church is failing if it is not recognizing faithful service within the community. Secondly, and most importantly, Deacon service gains the individual great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This should not be interpreted as a work that assures the deacon of their eternal state. On the contrary, salvation is based exclusively on the faithfulness of Jesus and his work of drawing us in repentance and faith. Instead, confidence in the faith refers to the effect that diaconal service has, has to strengthen the deacon's faith in the Lord Jesus. And as a result, they are able to joyfully proclaim with faith what they have learned, and they do it with boldness. I've taken the majority of our time this morning looking at the qualifications of deacons, which is very similar to the list of qualifications given to elders. One major difference to point out on this list is the elder qualification of being able to teach. Many deacons will be able to teach since they hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, right? but they do not have to be able to stand up in public and expound on the meaning of a given text. 
Additionally, deacons do not exercise ruling authority in the local church. Let's read 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Elders are to rule or have charge over church affairs. Nowhere in scripture are deacons given this responsibility. The Greek word for deacon, diakonos, means servant or one who executes the command of another. This gives us a pretty clear hint of what this role should look like. On that note, let's transition to the role of deacons. The church throughout the centuries has typically looked to Acts 6 as the primary passage in Scripture from which we derive the activity of deacons. This is good, and this is what I'm going to do as well. But it should be mentioned that the men chosen in Acts 6 were probably not officially deacons, but should rather be viewed as proto-deacons or the forerunners of the official church office of deacon. Please turn, uh, please turn with me, if you would, to Acts 6. I'll read from verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, based on Acts 6, what role do deacons play in the local church? First, I think we can clearly see that the deacons meet physical and practical needs of the congregation. At this point, the church was growing by thousands very rapidly, and the apostles were quickly realizing that the everyday needs of the church community were more than they could physically attend to. So they called the church together and asked them to choose from among them seven men who met the character qualifications, were spirit-filled, and could support the real physical need of the Hellenist widows. They weren't elected to sit in an ecclesiastical position of authority over the church or to preside over a theoretical area of need, but rather they served where the need arose and they provided physical nourishment for the most needy within the church community. This is a critical area of service. Deacons are to show the love of Christ by providing for the poor and afflicted. Another point to consider. The church is thousands, excuse me, <clears throat> the church is thousands strong at this point. So it is unlikely that the seven chosen would have been able to handle the work of ministering to the widows themselves. It is more likely that they organized and led the service activity towards the widows. So deacons are often to act as leaders of areas of service. But, again, this leadership does not bleed over into spiritual authority or rule within the church. Secondly, deacons play a critical role in preserving harmony and joy within the church. This dispute in Acts 6 could have very easily blown out of proportion and caused serious division in that community. The Hellenists spoke Greek and adopted many Grecian cultural norms, but were Jewish. 
Because of their connection to the Greek culture, there was a tendency for Palestinian Jews to look down on them as, as being less pure. You can see how this cultural division could blow up if not handled with care. In response, men are elected, and the need that threatened the harmony and joy that the church was experiencing was met. Listen to this general appeal given in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 11. I, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Deacons are to model this unity to the congregation. They are to be the foremost peacemakers. If a man has a tendency to make a big issue of non-essential theological questions, or if they are known for stirring the pot and rubbing people the wrong way, it's likely that they are not at this time great deacon material. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying as indifference to the defense of primary foundational Christian truths. Heresy and sin must be addressed, and the entire church is called to this activity. But what you often see is disagreement and infighting about much less important things. Lastly, deacons free the elders to focus on the priority of prayer and preaching. Verse 2, Acts 6 verse 2 says, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What is being communicated here is the importance of the public preaching of the word. If a pastor does not have time to labor, labor over the study and proclamation of God's word, then it will lead to the entire congregation being spiritually malnourished. This is not to say that a pastor is not a servant of the people or should not occasionally be involved in physically serving their church. What is in view here is the importance of calling and role. It's popular among theologians to define it this way. The elders serve by leading, and the deacons are leading in service. What we see here are two separate roles that both operate best when they can concentrate on what the Lord has called them to. Deacons serve best when they are acting as shock absorbers between the elders and distractions that would keep them from being focused on preaching the word. These distractions are sometimes critical within the life of the church, but because they are not the primary responsibility of the pastor's feeding his congregation spiritually, it works best if the deacons step up in these areas. Now that we have an idea of what the qualifications and roles of deacons look like, I would like to look at three hypothetical examples of deacons that are often seen in churches. Let's see if we can determine whether they meet the biblical qualifications. Example A, Fred is a successful businessman and a new member at Grace Church. The elder team are thrilled to have someone of Fred's business prowess join the church, and they quickly install him as a deacon. Fred proves very successful at managing the church's finances and engaging the community with marketing to help draw visitors to the church. The elders are happy because they don't have to pay someone for this service. See any issues here? The problem with Fred being a deacon is that he is a brand new member of the church. He wasn't tested, and the congregation had no idea if he met the spiritual qualifications found in 1 Timothy 3. Additionally, in this example, the elders made him a deacon, whereas in the biblical model in Acts 6, 
the congregation chose deacons from amongst themselves, and then the apostles put their hand of blessing on the men chosen. The fact that he was a successful businessman and had marketing ability isn't a bad thing. In fact, it can be very practically helpful. But capability is not the primary focus of Scripture when determining the role of deacon. Example B. Bob has been a member at Trinity Church many years and is the head of the deacon board. He is known by his fellow church members as being a no-nonsense guy that speaks his mind and makes things happen. Trinity Church only has one young elder, so Bob seems to play a critical role in making sure that the young elder doesn't go astray and some of his ideas that he has for improving things at church. Because Bob is the head of the deacon board, he uses his platform to talk with the other deacons and bring up any concerns he has about the pastor's vision. In Bob's mind, deacons keep the church on its current course and act as a check on the pastor's authority within the church. This example is unfortunately very popular in the church today. But there is zero evidence in scripture that the service role of the deacon should turn into a role of oversight within the church. Deacons are not to act as a second system of church rule or governance. Deacons are to execute the vision of the elder team and lead areas of service, not act as barriers to the direction the elders are pursuing. How draining it must be as an elder if you have deacons who are constantly bringing up disagreements or attacking your ability to lead and shepherd the congregation. Instead of freeing the elder to execute his God-given role, this deacon is doing the exact opposite and becoming a hindrance to the preaching of the gospel. So in the biblical model of church offices, we see multiple elders that lead and shepherd the church, and deacons who facilitate the elders' ministry of preaching and teaching whatever way they can, leading in their area of service, but not acting as an oversight board when it comes to the elders' activities. Example C. Howard is a deacon at Calvary Community Church and feels that he has been gifted with the ability to correct others who have fallen away from the best that God has for their life. You'll often hear Howard talking to others Sunday morning, making leading or suggestive comments about what the member is wearing or the car they're driving. You might hear him ask someone publicly where they were last week, Or he might make a passing comment to a mother at the church asking if she needs any advice on how she could discipline her child. Because, man, that kid was really loud during the service. Confronting someone isn't a popular thing, but someone's got to do it, right? Otherwise, how are these people going to learn? There is certainly a time and a place for encouraging others to love and good works. But what sometimes happens is people make unhelpful backhanded comments without having any type of relationship or clout with that person. This often turns into bitterness or resentment between the confrontee and the confronter. And just like that, joy is lost. And instead of Deacon Howard facilitating the members' enjoyment in the fellowship of the saints, the members are disenfranchised regarding the family of faith. Do you see how easy it is to turn deacon ministry into something completely different than the biblical role? Instead of sowing disunity within the body, the deacon should be involved in removing obstacles that hinder members from experiencing joy as they live out the Christian life with the body of Christ. Imagine, if you will, a qualified deacon who is self-controlled, 
and loves and leads his family. He sacrificially serves in meeting tangible needs of the congregation. And in so doing, he allows them to live in harmony and joy with one another, enjoying the fellowship of the saints. He then also supports and facilitates the pastoral ministry of the elders, allowing them to concentrate on the preaching of the word publicly, which feeds the flock and creates an environment where the entire church is serving one another. This is the vision of deacon service that the scriptures illustrate. In closing, I want us to also make a critical connection between the service ministry of the deacon and the service ministry of our Lord. Mark 10, 42 says, And Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. God the Son came as a baby, was born in a humble setting. He lived a quiet life up until the start of his short public ministry. And then during his public ministry, he preached the good news of God's grace in the coming kingdom. But he also showed us with his actions that those are to be great, who, who are to be viewed as great in the kingdom of God should love to serve others. He healed the sick and he embraced the poor. He welcomed little children to come to him and he treated the outcast of society with dignity and respect. He washed the disciples' feet putting himself in the position of a servant. Then, in the ultimate act of service, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God gives his life to save an undeserving people. The deacon ministry, rightly understood, is nothing less than a visual representation of the hands and feet service ministry of our Lord. Let's close in prayer. O Lord, how blessed we are to be able to open your word and learn from you how we should operate within the family of faith here at Agape. We recognize that your ways are perfect, and we cannot in our own human wisdom devise a model for church offices that is better than what you have revealed to us. Lord, I pray that you would create within all of us the desire to be servants that model the sacrificial service of our Lord. Fathers, Agape looks to elect deacons I pray that you would be glorified through the process and that those elected would be qualified and would help foster joy and peace among our family. Lord, bless us as we pursue your way. May your church grow as you give grace and may your name be glorified among the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.